And the title this morning is called Running to You, Shaka-Bam. I was like, Lord, what is that going to be all about? We were making the title graphic. Should I put somebody in track? Or We had all these miracles and all these great things happen in Pennsylvania, which I was excited for. And then I come home Monday, and boom, I just crash in my spirit. And, uh, and you know, many leaders and people, they won't tell you that, but I will, because then when you get into ministry, then you don't understand that part, and you think it's just you going through something or you getting hit with something. And so I go through this crash, and I'm tired in my spirit, and the Lord begins to speak to me in this place, and he says, all you have to do is run to me. All you have to do is run to me. I'm ready to receive you. And I think sometimes we don't understand the seasons and the times that God has us in. That sometimes the enemy will have us continue to war and battle and be in a state of warring and battle that we're getting scars, we're getting cut up, we're getting in all these attacks and all these things. And sometimes God just wants us to begin to understand that there is a time and a season for everything, that we stop in the warfare, we stop in the battle, and we begin to run to him, to, to run to him again. And when he told me that, my spirit began to leap inside of me. And he says, you're feeling the way you're feeling because you haven't run to me yet. It's time for you to come home. And, I, and, I, and I, I just began to weep because I said, you're right. I'm still trying to stay in the battlefield. I'm still trying to make something happen on my own ability. And you're telling me it's time to come home. And, you know, when you think of battles and people when they go out and they warfare, there's a timing of them coming home. And they get restored. They spend time with their families. And they, they come back to a place of getting rejuvenated. They come back to a place of, of, of being rebuilt again. And then they go out again to battle again. They come back home and they eat their home-cooked meals. And I understood at that moment that God was saying, you have to, you have to run to me. You have to come home. It's time for you to come home. And, and home to me, when Jesus says that, it's not my home in Texas or my home in the natural. It's my home in heaven. And sometimes we don't understand that we have a place in heaven that we can run to. Every time things get too overwhelming for us, every time we're tired of the battle, every time that we're tired of, 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 of striving, that there's a place that we can begin to tap into and run to. And the Lord began to show me the body of Christ. And he said, sometimes we're in the battles and we're all scarred up. And, and then we begin to get weary and tired and we want sometimes to run away. Sometimes the, the enemy gets us to the point where we want to run away. And then we run to things that are not good for us. So in that running away, we run to things that are not good for us. 
And then some we, sometimes we even run to our spouses to rescue us. I know I've done that a few times. I don't know about you, but I expect my spouse to come in and be a hero to me. When And then I put pressure on my spouse, and then my husband's like, what do you, and sometimes he'll say, what do you want me to do? What do you want from me? You know? And it's not fair. And then I say, and then some people run to past behaviors, to past decision-making that they used to do to do a temporary fix. Maybe you used to call somebody that would make you feel good about yourself. Or maybe you would, you would uh, go out and visit somebody. Or maybe your, your tactic was to go to your old ways before you came to know the Lord. And the Lord's like, you haven't run to me. You haven't come home. You're trying to do this all on your own. You're trying to figure it out all on your own. And it's time for you to come home. It says, but we have a point where we run to him. And the Lord began to show me this old encounter that I had many, many years ago about a secret place. And I've been in meetings where the Lord has shown people their secret place. And all of our secret places are different because the Lord is going to give us a secret place to be hidden in him differently. And so my secret place was a hidden cave. And I would, go in, I would go in the spirit. I'm not talking about natural because we're talking about the spirit of God. And I would go in the spirit and I would go across the oceans to this far off land. And I would end up in this cave with the Lord. And this morning the Lord began to show me the cave again. And he says, he says, and you know what I used to do? I know some of you are going to think this is going to stretch you. But I used to come in there and I used to have coffee with him in the cave. And you're like, coffee in the cave? They don't even go together. No, my secret place is going to be things that I like. Things that are comfortable to me. Things that, that, that the Lord knows that is my desire He's going to make my secret place very comfortable for me. I'm just going to give you some examples so you understand. I remember one day I was in this meeting and the Lord began to, people that didn't have an intimacy with God didn't know that they had a secret place to go to. So God's like, I'm going to show these women their secret place. And, and I began to see in the spirit their secret place and I began to tell them what it looked like. And, and the whole entire time I'm releasing what I'm seeing, they're getting so messed up in the spirit because it's things that they liked. I remember one of the ladies there, I said, I just went into this room right now, and it's got like this heavy plush carpet, and there's pillows everywhere. I mean, big, gigantic pillows. They were different sizes. They were different colors. Oh, it's so beautiful, your secret place. And the lady began to flip out, and she says, you don't even know, Alice, that that's what I, I love. I buy tons of pillows for everywhere in my house. I'm a pillow person. And I said, no, I didn't know that, but he knows that. He knows what you like. And then, then there was somebody else, and somebody else began to go to the beach, 
and walk on the beach with the Lord. And that was their secret place. That was a place God had made to set aside for them to be intimate with him. And I just remembered, I was like, oh, my God. I was getting probably more jacked up in the spirit than they were because I began to feel and see the things that each individual person liked and desired. Even in the natural, God would manifest it in their secret place. And I was blown away. And so I get to, this, I get to the cave this morning. And I was like, oh, my God, I haven't seen this place in forever. Because guess what? You can have multiple secret places. You don't just have to have one. And that's something God has shown me that sometimes through the seasons and through the times, the Lord changes my secret place. Just like in the natural, you may have like a prayer closet. Maybe in the natural you have a, an office area, you have an area you go to, maybe you go sit outside to spend time with Jesus. That's how he does it in the spirit. That there's, there's different secret places for different seasons and times. And so I get there to my secret place in the cave this morning in the spirit. And I see the Lord there. And the Lord began to give me revelation there for the body of Christ this morning. So I come in, and I'm telling him all these expectancies I have. Like, man, I, 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 I need breakthrough in this, and I need that, and I need this. And I come with this whole big old list, right, thinking he's like my Santa Claus. And the Lord sits there, and he looks me, and I see this, gla this, this gaze from his eyes. And I knew as soon as I saw that gaze in his eyes, I was so mesmerized by his look towards me that I couldn't even talk anymore. And I knew exactly what it meant because I had forgotten to get captivated by his beauty. See, when you're sitting there with the Lord and you haven't gotten captivated by his beauty and you come with your list of your needs, what you don't like, what you do like, all these things, you've missed it already. You've missed the point that he's sitting there before you just to spend time with you. That he stopped the things of the world just to come sit with you that very moment, that very second of your life to be intimate with you. And I just began to see the, the Lord laugh and smile. And I understood very quickly in my spirit what he was trying to say. And I said, God, forgive me, God, because I shouldn't come in with my complaints. I shouldn't come with my needs and my wants, God. But I should just be excited that you're sitting here with me this very moment. I should be excited, God, that, you're, that we get to have a cup of coffee together. And I know some of you, maybe you don't understand it or get it because maybe you don't drink coffee. But if I sit down and have a cup of coffee with somebody, that's intimate to me. That's important to me. I have people all the time sending me emails, hey, can we have a cup of coffee? I know what it means. I mean that when I know when I sit down with that person to have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, it's because we're going to talk about some Jesus things. It's not like one of these random meetings I'm going to have where I could just walk in, say hello, and walk away. I know we're going to get into some deep stuff. 
And that's what he was trying to tell me this morning. He's like, there's so much more than all the stuff you come expecting and wanting and needing. I've already got that taken care of. You need to begin to be here with me right now. You need to run to me. You need to be here right now and be focused and be engaged and be captivated by the revelation that I want to give to you and not be consumed with everything else that has come up in your life. Because I've already taken care of that. I'm already there. I've already got the angels dispatched on your behalf because you're sitting here with me. I know no time. So I'm already there taking care of that situation while you're spending time here with me. Jesus. So I said, God, I said, what does it look like to be in, the, in, in your cave? What does it look like? Like who else was there? He talks about it in Exodus. He talks about it in Exodus 33, 22. And he says, Peter was thinking about it this morning. Show us your glory, right? You know what happened to Moses when the glory showed up? In Exodus 33:22, it says, When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cliff in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. That was telling me, it should tell you that God protects you. God is a protector. And when you feel all beaten up and you feel man overwhelmed with the things of this world, you get into that cliff of the rock that his glory will pass you by and he will come and begin to protect you even in that glory state. Even in that glory state, he'll protect you because that's what he does. He's a protector. So I go on and I read and it says in Psalms 91.4, it says, He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. This faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. Sometimes we don't stop the battle. We don't stop the overwhelmingness of life enough to get underneath his wing. You know what happens to you? Underneath his wing in the cliff of the rock, the healing comes over you. The healing of the Lord comes and heals and mends and begins to take all the brokenness and all the pieces that have been shattered inside of you. And he comes and he puts it back together again. And he mends things in that process because the enemy cannot get to you in that place. The devil's schemes and all the stuff he's done to you cannot access you in that cliff of the rock. The enemy has no access to you underneath his wing. Because I can't even imagine how big the wing is that it complete covers you. I see these eagles flying out here and their span of their wings are so huge and big. I can't even imagine the wings of the feathers of heaven coming down to cover you. I remember when I was in Texas, 
I would see this angel show up. And it was such a powerful thing because I would pray for protection over our youth and the people we were with. And all of a sudden, I would see this angel manifest when I would do that. And it was crazy to me. I know it's probably crazy to you too when you hear about it. But I literally saw an angel come and get on its knees. And all of a sudden, it thrust forth its wings over us to protect us. And you're thinking, that's insane. How is that even possible? It was on the ark. That's what the angels looked like. Because let me tell you, I, I looked into it and I was like, where is this even at? He's like, it was, the ark was that representation. The angels that would go with the ark. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, that is incredible. But we have to begin to run to him. In Psalms 31, 1, it says, I run to you, God. I run for dear life. Don't let me down. Take me seriously this time. Get down on my level and listen, please. No procrastination. Your granite cave. There's that cave again. A hiding place. Your high cliff, a seer, a place of safety. There it is right there. It is a place of safety that you get in. And it says, you're my cave. To hide in my cliff to climb. We were talking about that this morning, right? No shadow you won't. See, we sing these songs and we don't understand the fullness of them. No mountain you won't climb up. Some of these cliffs and these caves are in the mountains. And then it says, be my true mountain guide. You need direction? It's talking about that here. And it says, free me from hidden traps. I want to hide in you. I've put my life in your hands. You won't drop me. You'll never let me down. This sounds like a cry, right? Some, this sounds like some of us sometimes, right? I know it sounds like me. I hate all this silly religion. But you, God, I trust. I'm leaping and I'm singing in the circle of your love. That doesn't sound like a defeated person, right? I'm leaping and I'm singing in circles in your love. That means there was worship. And then it says, and then it keeps saying, and it says, you saw my pain. Anybody ever feel alone like nobody understands the pain and the things that they're going through? That scripture right there says, the Lord sees your pain. It says, you disarmed my tormentors. You didn't leave me in their clutches, but you gave me room to breathe, to be kind to me, God. I'm in deep, deep trouble again, and I've cried my eyes out. Any of you cried because of things that you're getting attacked with? And then it says, I feel hollow inside. That's the enemy. When you become numb and you don't feel anything inside, and you're like, man, I don't even feel anything, God. I don't even feel your presence right now. 
I know because when we just came from Pennsylvania, there were people that felt that way. It's real, and it happens to people. It happens to believers. It doesn't just happen to the lost soul on the street. It happens to the believers. And then it says, my, it says, it says, um, my life leaks away, groan by groan. My years fade out in size. My troubles have worn me out, turned my bones into powder. To my enemies, I'm a monster, and I'm ridiculed by the neighbors. My friends are horrified. They cross the street to avoid me. Anybody been here before? I mean, this happens, right? It happens. And then, then they cross the street to avoid me. They want to blot me from their memory. Forget me like a corpse in a grave. Discard me like a broken dish in the trash. And the street talk gossip has me criminally insane. That's where gossip comes from. Look at what gossip, gossip destroys and it destructs and it creates division. And it says... The straight talk gossip has me criminally insane. Behind locked doors, they plot how to ruin me for good. Desperate, I throw myself on you, my God. Hour by hour, I place my days in your hand and save from the hands out to get me. Warm me, your servant, with a smile. That's what I was seeing this morning. Save me because you love me. Don't embarrass me by not showing up. I've given you plenty of notice. Embarrass the wicked. Stand them up. Leave them stupidly shaking in their heads as they drift down to hell. Gag those loud-mouthed liars. And it keeps going on. And he's talking about, he's crying out in desperation to God. It says, what a stack of blessings you have piled up. This is on 19. For those who worship you, ready and waiting for all who run to you, to escape an unkind world. Then it says, you hide them safely away from the opposition. As you slam the door on those oily, mocking faces, you silence the poisonous gossip. Bless God. His love is the wonder of the world. Trapped by a siege, I panic. Out of sight, out of my mind, I said, but you heard me say it. You heard and listened. Love God, all you saints. This is, this is him going through this process, and then this is what he says at the end. Love God, all you saints. God takes care of you who stay close to him. But he pays back in full those arrogant enough to go to alone. Be brave. Be strong. Don't give up. Expect God to get here soon. What are we talking about this morning? Expecting, right? Expecting our miracle? Expect God to be here soon in your circumstance. Expect God that he's going to show up because the love he has for us, that he hasn't left us alone. And I read that and I was like, God, I'm not the only one that feels this way. I'm not the only one that gets in that place. All of us do. 
But when we're in that place, guess what? He shows up every single time. But we've got to learn to run to him, to get in that cliff, to get in that secret place, to get in the rock with him where he were protected, to get underneath his wing and saying, God, it's time for me to come home, home in heaven, that I can allow you to come with your wings and cover me and protect me, and I don't have to make something happen and keep going and going until I'm dead on the floor. But you come and you heal me in that secret place. That's why I'm thankful for grace. Because grace comes in and signals you. And grace comes in and tells you, it's about that time. Let me cut in here and tell you, I'm grace and I'm talking to you. Let me cut in and say, it's time for you to come home. It's time for you to go to that place with the Lord for a little while so you can be healed and restored. So you, if you keep trying, look, I, we did this whole radio broadcast this past Friday about role playing. It was called No More Role Playing. You guys can go check that out on RadioAirJesus.com. But we talked about people being fake and people playing a role or in a position and we're like, you know, we have to take the time of no more role-playing and pretending and be fake. Sometimes God is sending grace to us so it can awaken us grace. His grace and mercy awakens our spirit and says, hey, there's an alarm being set off. The alarm is going off. It's time for you to wake up. It's time for you to get back into that hidden place with me. So e Ephesians 2 4 through 10 says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It was by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that the coming ages he might show the uncomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by you, you is for, it is for, it is for, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. This is why we can't make things happen by ourselves. And it says, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared us in advance for us to do. You know those moments where the enemy comes and he says, you can't do something? This is where it says, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He prepared it a long time ago. Each assignment and each, each and every calling on our lives was prepared ahead of time. So when the enemy comes up and says, oh, I don't think you can do this. You're not qualified. You're, you're not worthy. You're incapable. You could just tell him, man, God prepared in advance for me to do this. So you're a liar. 
James says this about grace in 4.6. He says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I have seen so many people walk around like they have it all together all the time. And it's the believers. It's not even the person on the street. The person on the street will be honest with you and tell you they're a mess. But it's the believers that come with this pride. And God's saying, if you humble yourself in humility, my grace comes in through humility. It's, humility is always understanding that we can't do anything without him. Everything is depending on him, not ourselves. Pride tells you the opposite. Pride tells you you got it all together and you don't need him. It's all about you, 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 you. And then God comes in with humility and says, it's not even about me. It's about you, Jesus. I can't do anything without your help. I need you, God. I need you, Jesus, to show up in this situation. I can't do it on my own. That's why we need those moments of running to him. Because if we stop running to him, then we become prideful. And we feel like we need to make it happen on our own. And God's saying, no, you have to run to me. You have to come home. You got to come home so I can heal you, so I can restore you, so you can go back with strength and endurance to run the race. John 15, 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is the bearer's much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from him, we can't do anything. If we want to bear good fruit, we have to come to him. He is the bearer of our fruit. Ephesians 4.29, it said, let no corrupting talk come. This is, this is the part where it goes back. We've got to watch what we're speaking and saying. And it said, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up. If what you're saying to other people is not helping build them, not helping build confidence and encouragement in them, then you shouldn't be saying it. As it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We were talking on the radio the other day, and I said, man, I can't forget where I came from. Because the minute I forget where I came from and what God did for me in my testimony, that he took me from that dark, dark place and helped to build me to who I am today, it was all him. I couldn't do it by myself. I tried it by myself, and it just didn't work out. I would be dead right now if I didn't trust in him and come to him and run to him each and every time the enemy wanted to come and mess with me. Sometimes we can be prideful. The enemy has these plans. And it says in Proverbs 16, 19, it says, there's six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination, hasty eyes, lying tongues, hands that shed innocent blood, 
and a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. People run, and sometimes they run to evil. And it says, a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. We cannot no longer be used by the enemy to cause a discord between our brothers. What we say matters, it's powerful, and we have to take heed that when we run to him, that when we speak unto others and around us, that is the representation of the heart of Jesus. We have to become kingdom-minded. It says in Titus 3, 2, it says, To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Not just to the ones you want to like and the ones you want to receive, but to all people. The Lord began to give me a picture of where we're at in the spirit right now. Where we're at in the place in the region here and what he's trying to do. And he began to show me two things that were coming. And he says... He says, I have to tell you the truth in some areas this season, even about yourself that you don't want to see and you don't want to even look at. But you have to. Because he comes in and he calls us things inside of us to turn. He turns our bellies and our spirit to bring things to the surface. You know why? Because he doesn't want them to be there anymore. He wants you to uproot and get rid of that stuff. He's getting the body ready right now. Because he's sending the new wine. He's sending the new oil. And our old wineskins are not going to work for us this season. This is why we have to run to him. He's getting the body ready. And look what it says. It says in Matthew 9, 17, it says, Neither do people pour new wine in, in wineskins. If they do, the skins, let me look it up on my iPad here because I don't think it got it all. Matthew, Matthew 9, 17. It says, So no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that way both are preserved. He wants to come in and preserve us. He wants to give us the new wine. If you were here Thursday night, you could feel that new wine of laughter and joy because the new wine brings joy to the body of Christ. And as you begin to laugh and you have this joy come inside of you from your spirit, not, not a quick joy like you laugh at something. I'm talking about an internal joy inside of you that rises up in circumstances. That joy that comes when you shouldn't even have that joy. If you look at your natural circumstances, it comes from the new wine that he's trying to place inside of you. But the old wineskin has to go. The old way of thinking has to go. If you keep producing things that are not going to be fruitful 
then God can't put that new wine inside of it because guess what? It's going to burst the wineskin and it's going to be no good. He's trying to create us to be able to hold the very thing that he's going to send to us. There was this uh, lady, the Lord began to remind me of her. It was so good. I used to work with this lady, and she was an older woman, and uh, she was a widow. And, um, and she would come to work every day, and she was so full of joy, and she was so excited. Like, she would come in, and I worked in a hospital at the time, and she would come in all full of joy and happiness, and she would spread her love on the kids. And I would come around this woman, and I would be like, oh, my God, like, she's incredible, Lord. Like, it would, I would feed off of her joy. I would feed off of the way she was in her love towards other people. And then I was there, and I said, man, God, I said, I want to I wanna understand you that way. I want to have that joy. I want to have that love. And, and then I go and I sit with her one day, and I have this lunch with her. And she begins, I, I begin to talk to her about life. And this same lady that I have been watching for weeks, full of joy, pouring out the love on the kids and everything, she would come in excited, good morning, you would never know the things she was having to go through. And it blessed me and it rocked my world in such a way that I've always remembered it. She didn't have no electricity. She didn't have, her water was about to get shut off. All these things were happening in the natural to her. And here she is with this love and this joy. And I would begin to eat off of her plate and her spirit, all this stuff she was carrying inside of her. And I said, God, help me to be like her, God. That's so encouraging that even in her darkest moment, she began to ooze out Jesus. You couldn't even tell that this woman had been going through anything because she remembered to run to him. She remembered. And I even asked her, I said, hey, I was like, why, why was it that you are so happy? How can you be so happy when you're dealing with all this? And she said, because, honey, I trust in the Lord. And I know, honey, that he's going to come through for me. And I don't have to be dependent on myself, but I know he's already there, and he already has it, and I don't have to make it happen. So I just sit here waiting on the Lord to come through for me. And I was like, Oh, my God. I was like, you're so good, Jesus. But I know it was a life teaching for me. And I pulled from it to carry it all the way here to Ohio. You see how God is so good? We don't even realize the things that he does for us. He puts people in our path to help us remember that Jesus is in charge of everything. That it's not about us. This oil that we've been talking about, even in Pennsylvania this past thing, we were talking about this oil and the rivers and how these rivers all connected from the Ohio River all the way through Pennsylvania, all the way to Olam where they're having this big old revival thing they're going to have about the oil. Olam means oil. 
And I'm like, God, you're speaking to us. You're telling us that we have access to these things. And we need to wake up and we need to listen to the access he's granting us. I began to look up this oil. And, and, and he says, it's never-ending oil. Never-ending oil. And it says in 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. I don't think I'm going to go into that. But maybe I should. Elijah and the widow's oil. See, we become so victimized sometimes that we don't even come from a stance of victory. This story here was a stance of victory. It says, now the wife of one of the sons of the prophet, the prophets cried to Elijah, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. Her husband was a believer. And now he died. And now she's left alone. And she's a widow. And it says, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. I don't know about you, but I would have already probably been broken down crying on the floor like, Lord, help me. Like, you know, we can't even handle simple stuff in our lives. So can you imagine somebody coming and telling you, you owe me money, I'm going to take your kids? And it says, and Elijah said to her, what shall I do for you? This is the prophet. This is what Pete's talking about, how the, the apostolic and the prophets are coming together. And he says, and then she says, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. She could have had anything. She could have had a jar of tomato. In Ohio, you could have had a jar of anything, right? Because <laughs> uh, we're a lot of people jar a bunch of stuff here in Ohio. <laughs> I learned that real quick. But she had a jar of oil. It's so significant. And then it says, then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors. She didn't even have containers in her house. All she had was this jar of oil. And sometimes we come to the Lord and we're like, we don't have anything to give. That's why this Lord this morning, even in our offering and our giving, God was saying, give whatever you have. It doesn't even matter what you give. Whatever you have, give it because I'm going to bless it and I'm going to breathe on it and I'm going to be the one who does the work. It's not dependent on you. And then he says, she goes and she goes to the neighbors, right? Empty vessels and not too few. <laughs> don't we limit God all the time? We don't even get enough vessels to put the extra in. And then it says, and then it says this, then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him, shut the door behind herself and her sons. This speaks to me about the secret place. Why did he tell her to go inside and shut the door? Something was happening between her and Jesus. There was an intimate moment there where she had to move in faith. She could have easily said, no, I don't think God can do it. I don't know what you're talking about, Elijah. I think you're lying, Elijah. I'm in doubt. I'm in fear. 
here. My husband just died, and you want me to go get some vessels from the neighbors to fill up? You see the perspective she could have had? Some of us come with that same perspective sometimes, but not her. She knew that heaven was speaking and speaking loudly. And she went in, she shut the door behind her, and she didn't even know what it was going to look like. She was obedient. Obedience surpasses all understanding. Some of the things God has us do, it looks foolish and dumb sometimes. But I'm telling you right now, God will grab that faithfulness. God will grab that obedience and he will breathe on it. And it may look dumb and stupid to you sometimes. But you know what? That's just the way Jesus does. He takes the foolish things of the world and he brings breakthrough to them. Let me tell you. So she goes in. And she brings, and then she's telling her son, she says, when, she, when the vessels were, were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. That means she came with an expectancy. There is an expectancy in this woman's heart because she didn't even know. And she, out of faith, says, bring me another vessel. I've already seen all these other vessels being filled up. That I know that if you bring me another vessel, God's going to fill that one up too. Hear me what I'm telling you in your spirit this morning. God has come through for each and every one of us in circumstances before. And somehow we get to a point where we think that the oil is going to be done. We get to the point where we think the overflow has been cut off of us. And we think that we have to limit God. And we're like, God, man. I don't know about this one, God. And God's like, I've done it here. I did it here. I did it for your kids. I did it in that area. I did it in this area. And guess what? He always comes through. But we stop the flow of the oil in our own lives. And then it says, it says, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is no other, there's not another one. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. And then get this. And you and your sons can live on the rest. (laughs) That's the overflow. That's the overflow God wants to give us this season. And we we keep stopping up. The river, we keep stopping. You know, I want to share something with you. I want to share something with you because I know when I expose this thing, God's going to come break this thing. We've been seeing a beaver hanging out out here. I've told two, three people, and they all say, we don't have beavers out in this area. They don't exist out here. And then I get in this, like, word, you know, well, we saw it. We saw it. We had a picture of it. And let me tell you, that's the enemy's assignment. But I'm going to pray that the Lord come and get those beavers out of our circumstances that start to build walls that clog up the river from flowing. Because if you've ever seen a beaver, beaver, how it builds, it builds down deep first, and then it begins to build upward. And the Lord is going to begin to break some of these walls down. The walls that the beavers think that that they can create. I'm talking spiritually, people. 
God, you're going to come and you're going to break every single wall down this morning, God. Every single stopping of the river, God, in this place, over the people in this place. Let's just stand right now. Let's stand in agreement. You know, agreement God does when two or more are gathered, right? When two or more are gathered, God brings it. So we're standing in agreement this morning. That whatever dam you have that has been clogged up, that there's no flow through it right now. We're going to pray that his new wine, that his oil come. Because this season we're going to need his joy in our lives. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. If we don't have the new wine, guess what? We're not going to be full of his joy. We're going to be full of worry. We're going to be full of burdens. And God said, no, I'm trying to give you something new. You got to wake up. Smell the oil. God, we just thank you this morning for what you've revealed to us in your spirit, God. God, I ask that you help every single one of us to begin to run to you, God. Not to try to make things happen with our own power and our own ability, God. But that we begin to run to you, God. God, I pray that every dam in every life of those that are watching, those that are streaming live that will watch later, God, that you would begin to break down the dams that the beavers have come to build, God. And we ask that the rivers would begin to overflow again, God. Let the rivers of your living waters begin to overflow again, God. Not only in this place, God, but in the homes that are connected to this place, God. Even the homes that are connected to this place, God. God. We come agreeing with your Holy Spirit this morning, God. We come in agreement for the new wine, the oil you're sending, God. <laughs> the anointing, God. The anointing, God. The anointing, God, that you would begin to fill us with the new oils, God. To know who you are, God. We're just not going to speak of you so, so, so easily, God. But we're going to know you, God. God, we come this morning, God. We just celebrate your goodness. We celebrate your goodness in our lives, God. Thank you, Jesus. We wait for you. We wait for you. We wait. 